Hello and welcome to the British Chamber of Commerce Singapore's podcast channel. With over 15,000 downloads since launch, we are excited to bring you season four featuring in-depth content on business, global affairs and news across Singapore, ASEAN and the United Kingdom. We've had some extraordinary guests on our channel, including W Series driver Abby Eaton. And we've got thoughts of the future now. Um, you know, I'd love to to try and kind of mentor some of the younger drivers. You know, renowned UK international education champion Professor Sir Steve Smith. Over about a four-year period, we kept increasing the resources going into mental health provision. Chief Executive and Director of the London Design Museum. Tim Marlowe. The way we design is actually thinking about the needs of, of everyone. And CEO of the industry cluster group at JTC, Alvin Tan. If you look at PDD, we are creating an ecosystem of companies, government agencies and industry association with digital space. Thank you, as always, for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Oriana Bryan, your host and sustainability lead at Mullenlo, the creative agency. We're here today for the final episode of the Journey to Sustainable Finance series on behalf of the British Chamber of Commerce Sustainability Committee. Today I've got with me Joost Bilkes, Head of Impact Advisory Services at Credit Suisse, to talk about his journey to where he is today, what got him interested, what is happening that he predicted might happen a decade ago, and what, in his opinion, needs to be prioritized by business and government. Yost is here today because of the unique position he holds as an agent of change within the ASEAN and finance system. So, welcome, Yost. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for the invitation. Um, yeah, I'm looking, really looking forward to this conversation. Great, wonderful to have you here. So uh, starting us off today, I'm really interested in what drew you to the world of sustainable finance. Was there a specific moment uh, when you knew that the role of finance was essential in transforming our global systems? Yeah, um, so for me, I think it was in my late 20s that really um, kind of gave me the moment where I thought, you know, what, what am I doing it all for? So I was working at that time um, um, already for Credit Suisse. Uh, so I've been working there for 17 years. Um, um, but I, I, to go kind of one step back, so I studied um, economics and, and I also have to admit, so and I studied maths as well. And, and I have to admit, I, I didn't really know what to do um, yeah. work-wise. So I, I started, uh, you know, for, for some of the large companies, um, ended with uh, ended working at, uh, at, at CS. Um, and very quickly, I found that if you're, um, so in your 20s, if you're energetic and you're, you know, you're, you're kind of, you want to, um, you know, set clear targets and go for them, you know, very quickly, the management is, you know, very happy with you and you'll get a, a pat on the shoulder and you get a little bit of extra money and maybe a promotion one day. Um, and after after kind of a couple of years, I thought, okay, but you know, wh where does this end? And and I know that I, this sounds really bad for you know, my previous manager of my manager, but I, I thought, okay, if I just do this, then this is it. This is the end. You no, know? this is I can see kind of the end of the tunnel. I'll just get another promotion, another promotion, and I'll become the boss of my boss. Um, yeah, and I, I found it very daunting at the time. So I thought, okay, what, what you know, what's next? What do I? 
how do I really identify what I'm doing from a work point of view? So I think in my late 20s, that was when I started to think about it. Um, and maybe in a, in a very sim simple kind of way, I did some sort of a kind of an experiment, um, um, uh, kind of a mental experiment thinking, okay, or philosophical experiment. So, so okay, so how or what should I do to be able to identify with, with, um, with work? Because in the end, I'm spending probably 70, 80% you know, my life energy every day um, trying to achieve the objectives of a large corporation at the moment. Um, so in, and very quickly, I kind of broke it down and said, okay, I at least want to do something that at the end of the story, at the end of the tunnel, so to say, you know, I, I feel really, really proud about what I contributed to society. So that was kind of the, the starting point. Um, and that made me also look outside of Credit Suisse. So I looked at kind of multinational corporation, but also the governments and philanthropy work. Um, and it it um, and it kind of made me think on the philanthropy side, I thought, okay, what can I do that's with my background and career and experience that would really kind of, um, um, you know, be material in a sense. Um, I had a similar thinking process about going in politics, but I'm from the Netherlands, so in Holland, and I thought, okay, a lot of things are actually quite well organized in the Netherlands. I know that in, in Holland, everybody disagrees with me, but but I think compared to other places, it's actually not too bad. Um, so, um, and then coming back to kind of the corporate world, um, first, I really started thinking about companies like, um, you know, large multinationals, like the, the you know, Procter & Gamble and Unilever and Nestle, those type of companies, because you can really imagine that you can make this great product that's very beneficial for society and you can put all your energy. So, so but then I also turned around and said, okay, but I've been working in finance. So what about finance itself? Yeah. Um, and, and then I started a trajectory of kind of applying for jobs inside the bank that were in a position where you would kind of control influence um, capital of our clients, the core core business of, of Credit Suisse is private banking. Um, and how can you channel that money towards things you can identify with? Because then in a kind of an indirect way, you can still drive that for that purpose what you're looking for. Um, and that's how I ended up with investment funds. So that was kind of my first job that I really went for and I really wanted to do it. Um, and, and that also brought me in contact with, um, with some of the work that Credit Suisse had been doing on the microfinance uh, side. Mm. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so that was a trajectory until there. And then maybe kind of fast forward to how, you know, to today. So, so that kind of um, um, really made me focus and, and look at these investments that I thought would, um, on top of bringing a financial return, would also bring um, social and environmental kind of positive outcomes. And for microfinance was, of course, social. Yeah, um, yeah and that's... that's um, um, and I can talk a bit more about kind of the Asia leg of it, but that's kind of what drove me towards starting to think and trying to find a job in that direction um, in, in my late 20s, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear that this was, you know, what you were thinking about in your 20s. If there was one message that you could say to people who might be listening in right now, who are in the same situation as you were in their late twenties? Um, what would you? What What would be one piece of advice that you would give them? Yeah, so I think try to be the the change um, in the organization you're working in. I mean, that worked for me because yeah. I in the end didn't didn't move out and didn't go anywhere. Um, and I got a I got a job to move to Asia to become the head of the investment funds platform. Um, 
And at that time, I thought, okay, that will help me to open this opportunity trying to sell more sustainable products to, to, uh, to our private banking clients. Um, and then quickly, I noted that at that time there was, um, so in this is, you know, 2010, 11, 12, 13, there was no demand really in, in Asia at that time. Um, and I also, uh, the microfinance funds we were working on in Europe, they had, you know, three to 5% kind of US dollar returns. And a lot of the impact was made in Latin America and Africa. So that, that didn't really resonate with, with Asian um, clients. So, um, so, so in that link to kind of what I would, what, what I would kind of advise or recommend is, so then I said, okay, you know, what else can we do? And, and it's interesting, but if you really come with a clear um, um, idea and you know the organization working well, I think there is a way to navigate it towards fruition and birth and launch something that, you know, is, is um, impactful and you can identify with. Um, so that, that's how it kind of happened for me. So, yeah, because a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to do ABC. But I think, and, and it's happening at the moment, so that's a good thing. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah try no. to look for it close to home. Yeah, yeah. And I agree that with that, trying to uh, be that agent of change within your own organization, um, see where you can make an impact and, and search for that. So, I, I mean, you've been working in this area for, for a while. Um, what do you think, and, and you mentioned that you're, you've moved, so you've been in Asia for, for um, sounds like over 13 years. Yeah, 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 13 years. So what, what is happening today in this field that you predicted might happen when you moved out here back in the early to 2010s? Yeah, so I think for me, the, the hardest bit of the, trying to be an agent of change was that yeah, there was not much interest to buy into my idea at that time from a from an investor or client point of view, um, um, and and the biggest, so the biggest I don't know epiphany or the biggest conclusion uh, I kind of drew and, and especially looking back at it. So I think there was a lot of stuff already at the time globally going on in areas whereby it was um, investments that would um, uh, bring change or environmental or social. Um, impact, but but that wouldn't have like a market rate return. And very quickly, when we were talking, so and this is literally in in 2012, 13, when we started to look at at the different type of investments. Very quickly, it's okay. So where you know is it the balance sheet of the bank? Is it the philanthropic money of clients, or is it the investment money of clients? And if you put those numbers next to each other, it's it's the it's the assets on the management. You know, for CS, I think it's close to one and a half trillion or something. So um, it's an enormous number. So, so that's what we should look at if we really want to be material in what we're trying to do here. So, so, so that means that either you convince this enormous large pool of capital to invest below market rate returns, yeah. or you come up with an impact investment that you really uh, believe that drives additionality or is additional and drives change, um, but brings a market rate return. So that's that's kind of for me that was the the thing that that made made me think. Okay, why would you not do it? If it, if we can prove this, why would you not do it? You know, if you can get a market rate return, but you actually solve you know an access to healthcare problem in emerging Asia, why not? Yeah. So so that was that was, my, and but then still, as I said in two thousand. Um, so 2015, 16, we really raised money for this first fund. 
um, which was the, the Asia Impact Investment Fund number one. And it, it took a long time and it was very hard. And clients, the concept was hard. Of course, people also didn't really trust probably that you could deliver a market rate return. You know, that was one of the underlying points. But for me, that was it. We, we have to get to that, the one and a half trillion and not to the smaller pots because that's where we drive real change. Um, yeah. So, and now the, the, the coming to your question about the 10 years and cents. Mm. So I think that changed. So I think people are more convinced now there's more assets going towards kind of sustainable investments much broader, but also to the impact investment space. Although I have to say that it's still from a relative point of view from, and from my, therefore, from my point of view, it's just way too small still today. So people know about it. A lot of people talk about it. So they're completely changed. Um, um, and people are interested to, you know, at least consider it, but still it's really hard to raise capital for it. Mm. It sounds like it's also changing the behavior of people to convince them that, you know, you can get these returns with these different types of investments. Would you say that that's right? Yeah. So, so I think there was some proving that we had to do. And I think there's, there's a, so, I mean, just as one key background thing, so we put a lot of time and effort in trying to define different types of sustainable investing. Yeah. And I, I think the crux is the following. So I think from a, if you are, um, let's say, a, a high net worth or ultra high net worth client and you have whatever, $100, and you would normally, you would have, um, you know, liquidity needs, um, you have a certain um, a timeline or time horizon in terms of your, in terms of your investments. So you can't say, oh, you, we all have to make, you know, put all the money into some really high risk, impactful investment. So, so I think the whole change towards looking at an overall portfolio and really aligning that one with values of clients, but then also trying to see what parts of the normal portfolio are actually in asset classes where there are impact investments available. I think that's really, really a nice trend that we see now. Um, and you're right. So there is education it's change it's a, it's behavioral change it's it's a it's a kind of a long slow trajectory but that's i think the key because if you think about then again to the bigger picture you know if you have trillions of dollars and yes only maybe 10% can be allocated in deeply impactful stuff and the rest of it is invested in you know in sustainable and more broader sustainable ESG integration or thematic investments or maybe the additionality is smaller um, then, then we're really going in the right direction. And that's more than enough already for impact investments because at the moment it's like whatever, um, uh, according to the gin, it's um, I think uh, uh, just over a trillion is the market. Um, but, but I mean, that's nothing if you look at, at globally at managed assets, which is you know far over 100 trillion, for example. Do you think that large climate events have triggered some people to think differently? I've, that depends where you live in the world, I think. And, and I feel, so I feel the biggest trigger is actually, is actually education. And it's almost, if I look at our client base and the interest and the convincing that we have to do, specifically for clients in Asia, I think it's actually what I'm super, super you know, excited about is the next generation, is the children of mm-hmm. our clients, basically. And they all go to the top universities and there's the education coming in. So. All of these universities are extremely holistic in their approach. They're changing their curriculum. Um, I think that also took a long time, but now they're really doing it. Like all universities are implementing it, are really rethinking our, our, you know, our capitalism broader, but our economic systems. And, um, and, and that's what these, you know, I call them kids, but they're young, you know, adults. 
going back home and bringing that back to the family and think like, oh, our family business is, you know, ABC. Maybe, you know, either I should be an agent of change in my own, you know, a conglomerate of my family, um, or I should help, you know, with the family office to think about how we can allocate capital better. And then it's still a journey because, of course, they're not immediately the decision makers either on the exactly. corporate side or in the. In yeah. But I think that's that's really good because they will be one day the the decision makers. So we're going in the right direction. We are going in the right direction. I agree, but I I've also heard that, you know, it's the decision makers, the people who are in decision making roles now, who need to be making the change. It's, it yes, it is the young younger generation, and yes, they have the right type of education. But it's those people who are in decision-making roles now who be because we don't have yeah. enough time. Yeah, and it's a good point. And I mean, the only hopeful comment that I would make here or that I see is that so so uh, CS in the region is very much focused on um, on these kind of the, the, the entrepreneurial client, which is clients that had that are running or owning stakes in large conglomerates, as well as our private banking clients. Yeah. And, and the good thing, I think, at the moment, what we see is that the corporates are under a lot of pressure to change their disclosures, for example. Yes. Or, as you say, you know, the, really the impacts or effects of climate change are starting to happen and they will uh, um, notice that in their, in their corporate um, activities. Um, they will have maybe restrictions or problems to get financing because some activities are, are very brown, let's say. Um, so and then. I mean, that mindset is then also in discussion with on the private banking side when they're investing, they think like, OK, well, actually, if that's important for my company, it's also important for the companies in my portfolio. And they should, you know, it's not just trying me to do this in my corporation, but I should also mm -hmm. try to think even, you know, starting with a risk from a risk point of view, which is fine, you know, from a risk point of view, what is the risk in my portfolio if we look five, 10, 20 years down the line and which companies should I back and which companies should I either try to transition or divest? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, moving on to, you know, the, the story of today, uh, knowing what you know now and the challenges ahead. What do you think governments and multinationals need to prioritize? Well, I'm, I'm positive, uh, positive and negative, if I can say it like that, but I'm very impressed by the, the dynamic and, and kind of broader efforts that are unfolding um, uh, today. Um, and, you know, it, it is this, um, kind of pricing of externalities. Um, it is bringing uh, a kind of more transparency and disclosures that that will really force companies to start to, um, yeah, to 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 find material data points um, uh, for investments, but also for the companies themselves to change their strategies, change the way they act. Um, so so that's I think very positive. The only thing is, is are we going fast enough? I mean, to your earlier point, I just, you know, we don't have much time. Um, so, so one challenge is, I think, timeline. And the other key challenge is that, how are we aligning what we're doing in Asia with Europe or with the US? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you, you asked as well about multinationals. I think there's a big role to be played for, you know, for a bank like Credit Suisse and other large multinationals, because for them, it makes sense to actually align these activities, no? So if they, so we have done enormous work um, 
aligning with kind of European standards, implementing that in IT systems, it's enormous expense. Yeah. It's an enormous pro uh, projects in terms of IT implementation, but also in terms of training, awareness, uh, interaction, engagement with clients. So, you know, it, it makes sense to then take that and also make sure you roll it out across the globe, which, which is amazing, no? Because it means that actually it's almost in some of the countries we're operating, we're actually going to the regulator and having an active conversation and saying, okay, this is, I think, the direction. It would be really good for us if we would be as transparent or disclose this much compared to any of the other um, requirements we would have in other parts of the world. So I think that's a really good kind of force that comes out of these large global um, uh, multinationals. Yeah. What would you say about um, the statement, what gets, what gets measured matters? Yeah, measurement. Um, in terms of, you yeah, know, yeah. We're, we, we have uh, different ways that we're, we're measuring, um, you know, our, our responses to uh, climate events or, or uh, you know, scope one, two and three emissions, for examples, and, and everything outside of that isn't measured. So then it doesn't matter as much. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very big question. I, I think measurement wise, I think the very simple objective is that we have to agree on on certain frameworks for certain problems and issues, you know, and, um, and, and, and that can be the decarbonization piece or uh, biodiversity. Yeah. Um, so, so and you're right, no, we can't, things that are not measured don't have enough meaning or are not driven or changed or so I agree we have to and I think that is happening if you look at you know like the SBTI efforts or something it's it's yes. phenomenal it's yeah. really if if you would have asked somebody five years ago or ten years ago that this would be the case today they would have said you're you're out of your mind no, it's 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 absolutely incredible um, I, I think there's one other dynamic which is something that that I think is a really really important point around the measurement of what changes and that's the following so and it's an investor lens so and I think at the moment that discussion is not not I don't hear it enough yeah so so and this is the this is it so I'm an investor I have hundred dollars and I invest in a thematic listed uh, uh, fund for example that is uh, um, looking at certain themes in sustainability space and trying to capture those trends I, I invest in ESG integrated solutions, whereby there, there is real assessment integration of um, um, material data points in the ESG space, and therefore br bringing hopefully a lowering risk or bringing out performance, etc. So the real question is, if I'm and not from the point of view of the asset manager or maybe the corporation, but for me as an investor, if I put hundred dollars in that fund, what is changing in the world? What's the additionality of that hundred dollars for me putting it in? I'm not the I'm not the agent of agent of change, my single hundred dollars. Where I can be an agent of change, very simple, is to make impact investments. So if I put hundred dollars on the balance sheet of a small company where the company is growing and can do more of the business it's doing and it's, you know, I, I take the example again we had earlier, access to healthcare or access to education or something mm -hmm. like that, then you, you with that hundred dollar, there's a huge additionality. It's a small company, so probably it didn't have easy access to capital compared to listed companies we talked about before. Um, it is, it, the, the owner of the company probably knows you because it, they're really, really happy that 
you put money on the balance sheet and made the company grow and trust yeah. them that they do it. So, so, and there you should claim as well as an investor and either through your own activity or the, the, the intermediary you're using or the impact investment fund you're using, making that investment, you know, hold them account, measure it. And that is a claim you can make from an investor point of view. So I think if you look again at the broader picture and you look at, you know, the UN numbers around what's the funding gap around the sustainable development goals, it's two and a half trillion on an annual basis. Yeah. And that two and a half trillion, it doesn't seem to change. So everybody's making more sustainable investments, but every year it's like, oh yeah, there's a funding gap of two and a half trillion a, a year and we still have the funding gap. So it's like, okay, so I think we should be much more honest to say what is additional and what is filling up that funding gap and what is not. And I think most of everything that's happening today is not feeding or filling that funding gap. So from a measurement point of view, I think the additionality piece, that is really important. Great response, thank you. Um, I think just a final, very quick question uh, on regulation. Um, what do you think, what do you think the role of regulators will be in, in the future? So I think for, for most of the financial centers around the world, um, um, so New York, London, also here, Singapore, Hong Kong. Um, I, I think regulators... Um, to drive change as well. Yeah, they, they are talking to each other and there are a lot of working groups. So one of the things that I really, really like about Singapore is that the regulator is enormously, enormously supportive of, of helping and supporting the sector, specifically from a sustainability point of view, trying to find the right solution that we can all implement and build working groups around it. I, I, the, the openness um, and um, kind of constructive methodology to do that and learn from you know, other parts in the world as well and use what we spoke about earlier, kind of the large global multinationals to come up with frameworks, ideas, discussion points and be open to that and see what can be implemented and come to a conclusion around definitions or new regulations. Um, I think Singapore is absolutely amazing in that, in that, in that case. And of course, you know, yeah, we don't have any time and we have to hurry up, but it's it's happening and that's really positive. And, I, and they play a crucial role, mm -hmm. crucial, even for the simple um, transparency and disclosure point of view, if you can just nail that down, that, that is also for Asia, that would be a massive, massive win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great points. Um, it's been lovely to speak with you today. Um, thank you so much for your time. And I feel like we could keep talking for much longer. Um, I really enjoyed your, your personal insights, your journey in Asia, um, what you think the future could look like. Uh, and to those listening in, again, I, I really hope this conversation sparked something within you to create the change that you want to see uh, within your own company or within your own world. Um, this is our final podcast within the Journey to Sustainable Finance series this year. We have an exciting program lined up for 2023. So please keep an eye out for this. Thanks again, Yus. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the British Chamber of Commerce Singapore's podcast channel. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe and why not leave us a rating and review on Spotify, Apple, Google, and the other podcast platforms. For more information about the Chamber, please visit our website at www.britcham.org.sg and tune in next time for a brand new episode.